You may be seated. We're into our second Sunday of Lent and continuing a series about the practice of life with God. And I'm so grateful to be on that journey with all of you. Let's pray. God who knows us, God who wants to be known by us, we need your help this morning. Mighty and gentle Spirit of God, draw us near and hold us close. For yours is the voice we need to hear. Help us hear you now. Not so we can know more about you, but that we would grow our relationship with you and one another. Amen. So uh, today is our second Sunday in Lent, and we're on this journey preparing for resurrection and new life at Easter. We're following Jesus to the cross. Seeking the new start and the freedom that come with Jesus' empty tomb that awaits on the other side of that cross. You know, it's hard for us, I think, often, that there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts to spiritual growth. No skipping over the cross on Good Friday to get to Easter. But Lent isn't supposed to be painful as much as it is casting other things aside. Focusing, again, on what really matters. Creating room within us. Putting those other things aside so that we can create new room within us for God to do a new thing. A new day. An all-new creation that God wants to bring in resurrection at Easter. So growing with God, there's no shortcuts. It's like any relationship. Any growing, any kind of new health. It takes new habits. It takes new practices. We can't keep doing the same things while at the same time expecting God to bring a change without our participation. So this year during Lent, we're looking at these five practices that help us to grow new life with God. So each week we're sharing some helpful practices and some tangible goals, both the practices we share together in community as a church and personal habits that we can incorporate into our everyday lives. I love how we can take this home in some really practical ways. So we have a Lent in a box. You could talk to uh, Erica. We have a Lent in a box for households with kids uh, that you can pra- practice that together at home. And together with, we sort of crowdsource this. Many of you put this together, this Lenten devotional, uh, and, and it goes with um, practices and goals uh, for each week. So we're looking at scripture each week and, and a practice from Jesus' last days, from the last week of Jesus' life, those days, Holy Week, before he went to the cross and died so that we could live. Last week we looked at worship and prayer as a practice that starts, uh, that is foundational to all the practices, I think. I'd love to hear what that's been like for you, maybe practicing worship or prayer in some new ways. In the coming weeks we're going to look at how we can practice giving, how we can practice serving, how we can practice sharing. But today our practice is the habit of study. How we can put our minds to growing with God. Molly read our passage, John 14, 22 through 29. It comes from an earlier part of the same teaching that we saw last week with Jesus' prayer in John 17. When he was, this was all a long series in John when Jesus was with his friends, with his disciples around the Last Supper. That last night before he went to the cross. You know, there's a difference, I think, between knowing about someone and really knowing someone. Am I right? 
I believe God uses the work of study alongside the Holy Spirit and alongside other people so that we can know the one who is hope, who is truth, who is love, who is justice. So as we study together and as we study individually, God doesn't want to just simply download some information that we might need. God wants to invite us into a relational knowledge, a relationship, a journey together. We're invited to live with God, to live out God's good news story. That's the point of why we're studying. I like how John 17, 3 puts it. This is right before the prayer uh, that we looked at last week. It says, this is eternal life, Jesus says, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. The life that we're made for is connection. We're made for relationship, knowing in relationship. You know, when I went to seminary, I recognized, at least in part, I hope, what an amazing privilege and luxury it is to get to be a full-time student. Not everyone gets that kind of opportunity, and I wanted to make the most of it. There was so much to take in, so many books to read, so many lectures to attend, so much new language to learn, so many research papers to write. But over time, I recognized that the best learning that I could do was not really on the syllabus. It was the curriculum of life. It wasn't so much what my professors taught. It wasn't, it wasn't just that. It was getting to know my professors themselves and the ways that they lived out fruitful and faithful lives following Jesus. You know, so it was one thing, I think, to read books. Even I'd read some of the professor's books even before I arrived in North Carolina. But it was something else, not to just read the book, but to get to know the author. <laughs> so many memories with professors. One of my first dates with Valerie was at our church history professor's house. He had invited us, we just started dating, uh, invited us along with a young couple who had small kids and they, like us, had also taken care of the professor's dogs uh, over Christmas break. And you just get to a different kind of knowing when things like this happen. As we arrived a little bit late, the dad of the other couple was in the front yard holding a naked baby out like this. <laughs> there had been a diaper accident and a messy baby that had just gotten hosed down <laughs> in the bathtub. So 29-year-old me didn't know anything about parenting or babies, except that usually they're not held out like this. But here, Valerie and I were invited right into the midst of it. My professor and his wife were helping this other couple in their home in a messy moment. So I got to know my professors, not just learn from them or learn about the material that they taught. I got to know them when I met their families, when I learned about their churches, when I traveled with them to their homes and places they loved. One summer, I, I've talked about this before, I taught in a, a Catholic school in Uganda in East Africa. My host was a priest who was, who is, uh, the brother of my professor. I felt like I knew my professor more than ever before as I got to know the place that he came from, got to know his brother, worked with him every day. I started calling my professor Father Emma, as everyone called him Emma. I called him Father Emma uh, instead of Dr. Katangale, right? Father Emma came and visited us in the middle of the summer, 
And he took us around to places that he grew up and places that he loved. And we got to go and we visited his aging mom. She had fled Rwanda in some of the Civil War conflict that had led up to the 1994 genocide. And this woman had so much wisdom and hospitality to share in this little meager home. And that same summer, I traveled to South Africa on what we called a pilgrimage of pain and hope. And our guide was uh, South African Methodist Bishop Peter Story. And he taught at our seminary, but this was a different kind of learning experience altogether to travel with Bishop Story. You know, he, he grew up in South Africa. He deeply loved the places that he took us together with his wife and with his son. Bishop Story had led the Methodist Church's resistance against apartheid, was friends with people like Desmond Tutu. So it was one thing to read about apartheid. It was something different to go to Robben Island and see where Nelson Mandela was imprisoned with someone who had been Mandela's prison chaplain. There's a difference between knowing someone and knowing about someone. So here in John 14, Jesus has just told the disciples, I'm about to leave. I'm going to my father, my Abba, Daddy, God, to prepare a place for you, he says to the disciples, so that you can be where I am. And the disciples ask, how are we going to know the way if you don't know where you're going? How will you you reveal yourself? And Jesus says, I'm the way. Stick close to me. Love me and follow my teachings, and I'll bring you alongside me on this path. I'll bring you home with me. The way that you're going to know my way when I'm gone is that I'll remain present with you, he says, by the very spirit, the breath of God. God will send the Holy Spirit, God's own self, the one who Jesus calls here the paraclete. It's not the holy parakeet, like the bird, Though it is like a bird, I guess, the the bird like a dove who comes, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. But paraclete can be translated a lot of ways. It It could be companion. Paraclete could be helper, comforter, advocate. I want you, Jesus says, to have peace and home and family and new life. And you will because God will remain present with you even when I'm gone. God will live with you and in you and in the community that y'all share as the Holy Spirit, the helper, comes to you. Really here, the teacher. The paraclete is the teacher. You'll still have a rabbi, Jesus is saying. The Holy Spirit, she will come to you in my name, representing me as I reveal God in the flesh, Jesus says. She will teach you everything, verse 26 says. Will remind you of everything that I taught you. Now, our translation, the inclusive Bible that we read um, most Sundays here, uh, uses she for the Holy Spirit because in Hebrew and in Aramaic, uh, the, the language Jesus spoke, the word for spirit is feminine. And in Greek, it's neither masculine nor feminine. So in any case, Jesus says, she, the Holy Spirit, will be with you and teach you and reveal God's ways and God's very self to you in relationship. There's a difference between knowing someone and knowing about someone. God wants us to know and follow the teaching, sure, but the real point is to know and live with and live in the teacher. And I believe this really changes how we think about the practice of study on our spiritual journey. We aren't studying for the sake of knowledge. We're studying for the sake of relationship. 
You know, in our digitally connected world, we can learn a lot about someone, but learning about someone online is very different than getting to know them in person, right? Dating apps might give you enough knowledge that you think you can either swipe left or swipe right, but you get to know the person more. The point is to get to know the person more. The point is to meet and get to know each other in person. So what might be helpful for you? What might be helpful for us as we work to be intentional around this practice of study during Lent and in an ongoing way in our lives that will shape us? I believe God is everywhere, right? Even though God's intention can be distorted and wounded in our world, we can see God's fingerprints everywhere if we look closely enough. Studying nature can help us know and walk with God. Your work discipline, maybe as a scientist or an artist, a mechanic or a journalist, it can give you insight into a life with God. Pop culture, I I like that every year at back to school time in August, uh, we do a sermon series sort of about pop culture. And last year it was Dr. Seuss. Uh, That was a lot of fun. So pop culture or the arts, they can help us to see and know and walk with God. So how, friends, can we look for God's presence in these very everyday things that seem even mundane, maybe? You know, part of why we have sacraments, water, bread, juice, they involve everyday things. And part of what the the point of that is is so that we remember that God is always showing up and loving us in all our meals, every time we share bread, in all the ways that water is essential to life. God speaks through these ordinary things, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout our lives. And we believe God speaks to us through the Bible. Lent is a great time to get into Scripture in some new ways. If these words are going to come alive to us and in us, we need the help of the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, talked about what he called double inspiration. Inspiration meaning literally spirit-filled, inspired. We trust that the Holy Spirit was involved in the writing of the scripture and its cultural context, yes, but we also need to ask for inspiration now as we read and as we apply it in our current time and place and life circumstances. God wants to teach us through the Bible. But the goal is not to just know more about the Bible. The goal is knowing God and life with God. God reveals God's self to us in Jesus. And it's striking to me that Jesus didn't write a book. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus didn't write a book that we know of. He wanted to teach his disciples and help them teach others. And the way that he did it is by them living it out together. John 1 says, Jesus is God's word in the flesh, dwelling in our midst. So when God wanted to send us a message, we got a person, not a book. We study scripture as a trustworthy source to get to know Jesus and thereby know God. And we study scripture through a lens of what we know about Jesus and all that he taught us about who God is and what life with God is like. But we don't need more words in and of themselves. We need words that point us, that guide us into a life with God in the way of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. So how, friends, are we going to practice this kind of study together together corporately and individually during this Lenten season and beyond. There's some great ideas in the Lenten devotional, and I know we have more out there. I hope you'll take one home and and, um, use it. I'm reminded with that devotional that 
we don't study alone. We don't study alone, even when we're by ourselves. We study with the Holy Spirit. We study with each other. We study for the sake of more love. We study for the sake of renewed relationship. So if we want a deeper relationship with God, if we want to know and follow Jesus into full freedom and new life, then we're going to have to dig into Scripture with the help of God and with the help of each other. We need to make the Bible part of our regular diet, part of our regular workout. Getting started with the Bible, right, can be kind of intimidating. So first, pick a good translation, one you'll actually read and connect through. So probably not the King James Version. We like to use the inclusive Bible, like I said, here in worship. Uh, But other good translations include the Common English Bible or the New Revised Standard Version. I think that's what's in the pew. The CEB or the NRSV. The NIV is pretty easy to read. And also, don't start at the beginning and read, try to get through. Leviticus gets hard. Um, Start with one of the Gospels. Start with one of these four biographies of Jesus that start off the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let's start with small chunks. So last week I shared about how we're loosely basing this series. Uh, we're taking it in kind of a different way, but we're loosely basing this series on an outline from Adam Hamilton's book, The Way, The, the Walk. And in it, if you remember last week, uh, he suggests this way to remember our new practices and goals by looking at our two hands. Right? So hold out your two hands. With your right hand, or with your right hand, make a fist. And with your left hand, hold your fingers outstretched. And last week, we said that the communal practice, the fist, was about committing to be present in worship. Worship together. We can remember this by looking at our fist together in our right hand. And then our left hand was about individual practice. About maybe it could represent praying five times a day. Or it could represent five different kinds of prayer represented by each finger. I had at least one of you this week say you'd remember at least what I said the middle finger represented uh, last week. This week, look at the five fingers on your left hand and let them represent a goal of reading just five verses of scripture per day. Again, don't start with Genesis. Start in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I like this. In Mark's gospel, the last week of Jesus' life takes up almost half of the book of Mark. From the last week of Jesus' life, from Palm Sunday through the crucifixion to the empty tomb, it's chapters 11 through 16. It's about 250 verses. So if you start today in Mark chapter 11 as Jesus enters uh, Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, if you start today in Mark 11, you read five verses per day, you'll be almost to Easter by the time it's Easter. Just five verses a day. If that's too small a goal for you, let your five fingers represent reading five chapters of scripture per day. Uh, In the devotional, you'll find a a daily reading assignment that we call the lectionary. And uh, it includes three to five different chapters from different parts of the Bible. And and that could be a reading plan for you this week if you want to try out reading a little more than five verses per day. Remember, it's in these many books in multiple languages, multiple cultural contexts. The Bible is really complex but it's all one big story. It's God's story of loving us and bringing us home, bringing us back to life. Remember that it's all about relationship, which is why contemplative ways of reading scripture are really helpful. And there's a couple contemplative ways explained in the devotional, like Lectio Divina, 
or Ignatian imaginative prayer that you could check out. Ask God to speak to you as you study and draw you close. So you looked at your, we looked at our left hand, five verses or five chapters. We look at our right hand. How can you study with others? I'm so grateful so many of you were a part of our uh, racial justice Sunday school class that Linda and I started last week. Um, thanks for being a part of that. Uh, it's already helping me to think in deeper ways about the cross and about Jesus' solidarity with us and liberation for us there. It was really um, refreshing to talk about hard things, to talk about race and racial injustice and violence um, openly in a room. And it's a hard conversation, but it's an important one. So we'd love to have you join us. We had to move to, we're moving to a bigger room. So your, the devotional says it's in room 212. We're not in room 212 anymore. We're in room two, 218 uh, now. But, and I think that's correct in today's newsletter. There's so many ways we can study together. There's pub theology on Wednesday nights. There's a woman's book study that meets once a month on Wednesdays. How are you going to study scripture with others? I love how Diane in the, in the devotional talks about her Emmaus group that has met every Friday for over 30 years. Not just to remember what God has taught, but to work together to connect it to how we live. To literally flesh it out. You can check out Andy's Bible study on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock. You can come Tuesdays and Thursdays. Over lunch, we have a Bible study downstairs. Some of us are in recovery groups. It's great to have other people connect with you around the big book of the 12 steps, right? I'm suggesting that you also connect with people around another big book as well. So we study individually. We study in community, not so we can know about God, but so that we can know God and live together the life that God wants for us. Remember, friends, we don't have to do it alone. We have each other. We have the Holy Paraclete, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who Jesus promises will be with us and teach us. New life takes practice. And so I look forward, I hope you're looking forward, to seeing new life emerge among us as we get to share in this habit of study together. Will you pray with me? God, teach us to listen. To hear your voice by your Holy Spirit present in our surroundings, in each other, in scripture. Thank you so much, God, that you don't leave us alone. You're not another subject to be mastered, but instead you come to be with us. You don't just tell us about the way, but you come to be the way with us. The goal is relationship, and so the way is also relationship. You want us not just to know about you, you want us to know you. So thank you, God, for the gift of study, for the ways that we can love you with our whole mind. Amen.